Hello and welcome to episode six of the N4D podcast series on the politics of ending malnutrition. Um, I'm joined here today by my colleague, Jeremy Shoham. Do you want to say hello, Jeremy? And we want to provide an introduction to episode six, which focuses entirely on national information platforms for nutrition, or we use the acronym NIPIN, and we'll use that throughout this podcast. And the reason that we're focusing episode six on NIPIN is because N4D has recently evaluated NIPIN and we've been doing this over a period of a year. So we got really into the detail of this program. Jeremy's going to tell us a little bit about it in a minute. But we were also so impressed by what we found out about NIPIN during the last year and the evaluation process. And we wanted to ensure that some of the lessons and some of the standout features of this program are shared with you all. So following this introduction, we have two types of conversations with key guests, those involved with NIPIN at the global level and then the country NIPINs. And for the countries, our guests are speaking from Ethiopia, from Niger and from Kenya. And they all have an enormous amount to say about what they have learned about NIPIN and the results of some of their activities over the recent years. So perhaps before we listen to our guests from the global and country level, it might be helpful to say a bit about what NIPIN is and what we would like you as our listeners to understand about NIPIN. And so I'm going to hand over to Jeremy, who's just going to recount some of the key features um, in his mind that really make NIPIN um, a standout programme of work. Over to you, Jeremy. Thank you, Carmel. Yes, so NIPIN, which was started in 2015 in nine countries, was originally funded by the EU, Gates and DFID which is now FCDO. Uh, the idea of NIPIN was to strengthen the capacity of countries to use nutrition data to inform policy and programming. The idea was that it would be rolled out in some scaling up nutrition countries. And the context for this really is that at global level, there has been growing recognition that there had been considerable underinvestment uh, in nutrition information systems. Uh, and that, that this was a huge gap which needed to be remedied. Now, up until NIPIN, there had been a series of international initiatives to strengthen data collection at country level. But none of these really had adopted the NIPIN approach, which was to ensure ownership by governments of nutrition information systems and embedding the whole nutrition information system capacity within government institutions. So that is a unique, perhaps the most important and unique feature of NIPIN. Now, NIPIN also uh, arrived, or the the understanding, the thinking around NIPIN arrived at a time when there was a a growing groundswell of opinion that we need multi-sector data and multi-sector approaches to address nutrition. So NIPIN was very much predicated on the idea of collating uh, existing data sets across sectors, health, 
wash, social protection, agriculture, etc. And collating this information in a way that it could be used to answer key questions which policymakers and decision makers working in the nutrition space needed to answer at country level. And that's, I think, Nipin in a nutshell. The only other thing to say is that Nipin involves what they call a policy analysis cycle at country level, where key stakeholders get together and decide what are the unanswered questions at country level that Nipin needs to address and answer. Great. I think that's a very good summary of Nipin. Thank you. And we'll let our listeners just listen to our global and country guests who have so much to say about their experience with this approach. I think perhaps one other thing to mention about Nipin is when uh, the program is being set up in a country, they have these what are called scoping missions. And it's interesting how much attention the teams that go in and look at a country's, let's say, viability and appetite for nipping, how much attention they afford to really understanding the institutional and political economy situation in a given country. And I think that attention to those factors, if you like, or those features of a country have really helped enable the success of Nipin that we see today. Now, that's not to say Nipin hasn't had its difficulties. It absolutely has. In a lot of countries, Nipin took a long time to get off the ground. Um, some countries have struggled with seeing how they're going to get to a more sustainable government-funded um, arrangement for the future of Nipin. But by and large, just to conclude our introduction, Jeremy and I, who were most involved in the evaluation of Nipin, are of the mind that Nipin is a mainly uh, positive example of how to really go about long-term programming in a country, and in this sense, mm. to improve information systems. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very positive experience for both of us. Mm. Okay, so uh, we welcome uh, you all to listen to the rest of this um, series six, and episode six, rather, and thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. So a very warm welcome uh, to this podcast series on the national information platforms for nutrition and a particularly warm welcome to our guest today, Christoph Langenkamp, who uh, Jeremy and I have had the privilege to meet a couple of times uh, and who we've been working with over the past year or so as we've been involved in evaluating and looking at NIPIN, as it's called, that's the acronym we're using. Christoph is the Knowledge for Nutrition Programme Director at GIZ. GIZ is the German government's sort of aid development wing and heads up quite a large programme to advance evidence-based policy making and programming. Now, within that large programme falls the global coordination of NIPIN, which is what we're talking about today. And I know Christoph has, without giving away his age, has many years of experience both in countries in Africa and in positions at the global level in the field of food, agriculture, nutrition, food security. So sort of quite a wide reach of experience. So Christoph, a very warm welcome to you. And perhaps you could start by telling our listeners uh, a little bit more about you. 
about C4N uh, and specifically your role. Thank you, Carmel, and thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, indeed, uh, um, it has been a while now uh, um, in the context of uh, um, agriculture, food and nutrition security. And um, as you uh, um, rightly pointed out, I've worked in uh, various uh, positions, uh, be it uh, um, working as a volunteer with uh, um, local people uh, um, on the Lake Victoria to uh, um, global perspectives, uh, where I coordinated uh, the Secretariat of the uh, Global Donor Platform for Rural Development, or working for a voluntary organization or working uh, um, for the European uh, Commission, be it in uh, Somalia or in uh, Kenya, um, based in Kenya actually, or at uh, headquarters uh, in Brussels. So I've, uh, um, in that sense, uh, um, seen quite a number of sectors, subsectors, and uh, that uh, um, makes me to really enjoy my current work here with uh, knowledge for nutrition, particularly from a multi-sectoral perspective. I think uh, we can only succeed with our um, nutrition perspectives um, work towards nutrition outcomes um, if we really take it from a multi-sectoral perspective. And this is uh, really something that came together um, five, six years ago when basically uh, the European Commission on one hand and uh, the German uh, Ministry of Economic Cooperation and Development, when they agreed they wanted to do something jointly in the context of uh, nutrition and have as well a multi-sectoral perspective to nutrition here. And uh, this was basically uh, um, the time when uh, um, knowledge for nutrition, K4N as we call it, was conceived. And within that, we have uh, um, a huge uh, um, action area, which we actually call uh, capacity for nutrition. And here is where um, the support to the national information platforms for nutrition, the NIPINs, um, sit. And we are very happy and we're, we are very proud now to be uh, um, yeah, associated with NIPIN, able to support it. We are actually um, involved in uh, um, the global coordination, the joint learning, um, and uh, we are one of uh, three implementing agencies that support the uh, NIPIN at country level. Um, and uh, GIZ, the German uh, um, International uh, um, Cooperation, uh, it's uh, um, actually a, a, a government, uh, a federal-owned uh, company. We are basically uh, supporting the implementation uh, in Ethiopia, in Niger and in Zambia. That's great, Christoph. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for helping us navigate the complexity of all the different institutions and actors. Um, it is. We, <laughs> it is yeah. I'm sure our listeners will, will find their way around um, understanding that. So that's so interesting. And I th couldn't agree with you more with, you know, your, well, I think all of us are so passionate about the need to always think about nutrition multisexually, because we're not going to make progress unless we think in that way and act in that way. But let me hand over to Jeremy, who I know wants to explore a certain area with you. Jeremy. Yes. So, so Christoph, uh, that, that explains why Nippin is located where it is. 
Uh, perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about the genesis of Nipin, uh, how it has evolved during setup and and subsequent Im- implementation. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. If we look back, uh, um, Nipin um, was uh, um, actually conceived quite a number of years uh, back. We we have to look uh, back to the uh, Nutrition for Growth Summit, uh, um, to the. Uh, um, establishment of the scaling up nutrition um, movement uh, um, and as well um, I think uh, the the uh, Lancet series of uh, 2013 um, that called for more and better data played a role that all um, gave uh, um, way to to, uh, the need and the perspective we need to work on data, we need to develop uh, the data value chain we have to have evidence to allow us to become more efficient, to become more effective. And uh, in that uh, context, Nipin was uh, um, started off and it was initially started, uh, I'd say, very much as a technical initiative. Um, And uh, the EU played a um, very pivotal role to support countries uh, um, to get into the process. And um, in the context, or over time rather, Nipin then became more of a policy-driven initiative. So that is something uh, um, that is actually some um, very ex- yeah interesting, how Nipin was initially conceived as a data initiative, and then um, now gradually moves and increasingly moves to become a policy initiative or more of a policy initiative. Thank you. That's a very, very useful background. Carmel, back to you. In fact, um, earlier today, I was listening back to a conversation with Rebecca Heidkamp, who we've also will be um, listening to in this podcast series on Nipin, who said almost exactly the same, Christoph, this evolution of Nipin. So while data is central to Nipin, of course, it's the policy relevance of that data and evidence that's really one of its strengths, I would say now, certainly what we uh, alighted on during the process of evaluating NIPIN over this past year. But maybe this leads us really nicely, Christoph, to hear from you, what are you most proud of in terms of what NIPIN has achieved in the various countries where NIPIN is present? What do you feel are, let's say, the key successes of NIPIN that you sit and think, yeah, this is really worth our, the resources, the time, the energy, and all the coordination that goes on within the department that you oversee? I think the most important uh, factor actually is that it is country-owned and country-driven. And this becomes uh, um, very obvious uh, if you visit uh, um, a country Nippin or when the country Nippins actually meet uh, in the uh, uh, global gathering. These uh, national institutions uh, that run and implement Nippin, they are the key factor. And uh, I'm really happy and proud about uh, um, the colleagues, the teams that work on it. And um, it is uh, really wonderful to see how countries take ownership 
um, of this process and establish it. And uh, that actually makes it uh, as well quite successful because it's a difference if a consultant flies in, gives an answer to a policy question and flies out again, or if indeed uh, in country systems, policy questions are formulated, the data is identified uh, internally, it's analyzed and then put forward uh, in communication uh, formats that respond uh, to the uh, questions that were put forward in country. And all this from a multi-sectoral perspective and looking really at the evidence that is available within country. I think this is uh, um, quite uh, important. And then actually out of the whole process, in countries to come up with uh, um, concrete proposals or com concrete outcomes. In Ethiopia, for example, uh, Nipin had contributed uh, to a better understanding of the uh, wash, of the impact of uh, water, sanitation and hygiene practices in association with uh, changes in the diarrheal and uh, um, stunting in children. That is something uh, Nipin explored uh, and uh, gave feedback to the relevant actors uh, um, in Ethiopia. Or in, in uh, um, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Nipin was, for example, uh, involved uh, um, in the uh, uh, monitoring of the National Multisectoral Plan of Nutrition. They found that, uh, um, you know, not all sectors were indeed uh, um, monitoring uh, the agreed upon uh, um, indicators and there was a process uh, to improve that and then um, to better able to monitor and implement uh, um, the nutrition plan in, in the country. So there's a number of uh, um, examples um, and uh, what we can see now is uh, um, it as well takes time for a NIPIN really to be established and implement the cycle um, of questions, analytics, and then communication until it then feeds into action at uh, a country level. Yeah, very interesting, Christoph. And I think, you know, Jeremy and I were really fortunate during the course of the evaluation to visit Kenya and Niger. And I think like you, really impressed with the embeddedness of Nippin, if you like, the extent to which mm. it is fully, you know, located in these really impressive national institutions, be they the bureaus of statistics or the policy arm of government. I think that is, you know, as you say, such a strong it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? But actually, very few programs really can say they are properly nationally um, owned and located in the way perhaps that an initiative like NIPIN is. And as you say, there isn't a heavy reliance on consultants being parachuted in to uh, do the do the work. These are extremely skilled government personnel doing the work. I think one of the things that I was most struck by in a country like Kenya are the amazing dashboards, the visualization of all the complex data um, that a country like that has, which I would argue every country should have, you know, such a powerful visual visualization of where things are at, the trends in different forms of malnutrition and how those rates vary geographically. 
So there's so much, isn't there, to be, I guess, proud of and impressed on. And as you say, these nippings took a long time, but they needed to, because what was being asked of countries was really complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I very much agree. You know, it's very easily uh, um, said, but it takes time, resources, uh, and um, good spirit from um, all um, involved to really accompany national institutions, partners, mm-hmm. um, and uh, enable them to facilitate uh, um, rather than doing. And uh, um, I'm quite happy actually I'm, I'm i'm as well grateful for your work you did with the uh, contribution study to basically uh, um, do deep dives in a number of nippins but then as well to look at areas where it may have not worked so well um, yeah. the the contribution study for example as well looked at uh, um, bangladesh for example and uh, looked at uh, um, what do we learn from uh, um, a nip-in uh, that is, uh, um, for example, not operational anymore? It's yeah. luckily the only one, um, but what are the lessons? And uh, um, we are quite grateful uh, for some answers uh, um, that let us better understand uh, how important it is actually institutions that are involved in NIPIN and um, yeah, the, the personalities uh, um, in these institutions, how important it is uh, for the implementation and uptake of a NIPIN in a country. Yes, I think that neatly brings us to Jeremy's next question, actually. Well, yeah, you started to talk about some of the challenges, Christoph, and uh, you mentioned Bangladesh and the institutional uh, issues that arose there. You mentioned the time it takes to set up a, a fully operational nipping cycle. Um, so the question, I guess, is what what overall were the challenges in, in establishing NIPIN in nine countries? Um, and were any of these unanticipated? And are there lessons there for future efforts to roll out NIPIN, a NIPIN type approach in other countries? Yeah, it's a very valid and very important uh, um, question. And uh, one of the uh, um, key challenges is uh, indeed that it takes more time than anticipated, than thought to build capacity to establish networks. We should not underestimate how long it takes time as well for national institutions uh, to build the necessary networks to uh, um, facilitate good policy questions, uh, do the analytics and then uh, answer these questions. And another point is uh, um, that from the very beginning, we actually need to look at uh, um, sustainability and uh, how NIPIN can continue after engagement, the facilitation, the support uh, um, from uh, institutions like uh, GIZ in uh, the three countries uh, I mentioned, or we have uh, UNICEF supporting in uh, other countries. We have cut here in uh, uh, Guatemala. It really takes time to to, uh, build, strengthen the systems that can then, being embedded, continue um, once uh, the uh, support ends. And for me, the the, the key point here is is relevance. It's really important that the NIPINs are and remain relevant for the actors in country and are very well embedded in the country systems. 
So that gives an opportunity then uh, for being sustainable and being there in the long run. Yes, I, I, I think um, the, the relevance question is key, isn't it? And part of relevance, I mm. guess, is also visibility to be seen as relevant. That's uh, indeed something uh, where I think more has to happen uh, in future. It's important to do the right things, but then as well to talk about it. Uh, um, this helps uh, for sustainability in country, but then as well uh, beyond, let's say, individual country levels and strengthen the general perspective of uh, evidence-based policy making and programming. I agree with you, Christoph. It's one of the reasons, of course, we're uh, so keen on this podcast series on Nipping is to expose our listeners to this series, to this thing called Nipping, which we think is so valuable and important to the nutrition sector. Christoph, can I bring us round to the future for Nipin? So could you say a little bit about the ambitions from a global coordination perspective for Nipin? I know you've had a lot of deliberations about this, and it'd be great just to hear how you would characterize Nipin's future right now. Um, you know, will it sustain in a further phase in existing countries? Will it roll out to additional countries? Because as you said right at the beginning, Nipin's origins were in the scaling up nutrition movement. There are many, many countries in the movement. And originally, of course, the idea or the hope was that Nipin would be available to all Sun movement countries. That, of course, is hugely ambitious. <laughs> but it would just be great to hear how the future is looking right now. Yeah, thanks. It's a very pertinent question. At the moment, I can see uh, various uh, perspectives, various um, lines of looking at it. I mean, first of all, there's obviously uh, the the uh, quest to support country nippins uh, uh, to become to become more sustainable, and that could as well include the perspective of um, having nippin not only at uh, country level but as well at uh, um, regional level a local level and uh, so that it becomes as well relevant for subnational uh, um, policy questions so to increase again relevance uh, what jeremy just mentioned as well so that is one perspective another one is uh, obviously we hope that um, there would be another round of uh, financing that in one or the other aspect uh, um, could continue to support uh, the national nippins um, here uh, it is as well very important uh, to look at uh, available financing in country um, be it uh, obviously from national sources but then as well uh, from the uh, development partner the donor community so that is something uh, um, we we urgently need to uh, look at but then um, there's as well the uh, idea of uh, now to strengthen to to advance a scalable nipping and here the idea is to take uh, the lessons learned, the experiences uh, from Nippin and make them available to other countries, particularly to some countries that are interested uh, in establishing um, something similar to, to uh, Nippin or um, an institution that uh, yeah, advances, develops the nutrition data value chain 
in regard to uh, um, answering uh, policy questions uh, with evidence. So, so Christoph, uh, uh, this scalable idea of a scalable NIPIN, would uh, the NIPIN structure at global level, how, how would they support that scalable NIPIN at country level? Or is that something that you're you're trying to work out currently. Exactly. <laughs> that is uh, what uh, the team is uh, currently uh, working out. But again, it is something that uh, would be demand driven and that would build on national institutions and national processes. And we hope to uh, link it very much uh, to the sun movement uh, and uh, responding to some of the uh, questions uh, that are emerging there. That's very exciting and I, I think it's right that it would be based on demand and in fact it's so interesting Christoph because one of the areas of work that N4D is so involved in is with Yemen and supporting them in the reprioritization of their multi-sectoral nutrition action plan and indeed guidelines on the humanitarian development peace nexus uh, for all actors in Yemen. And when we presented our very preliminary findings from the contribution analysis of NIPIN, when you were all sat in Brussels with all the countries at your NIPIN global gathering, we were sat in Amman in Jordan mm -hmm. with the first ever national gathering of Yemeni actors right across north-south. Um, and one of the things that came out was this really strong desire to have uh, something like Nipin in Yemen, um, to harness existing data, to inform priorities, um, especially given they're going to be reframing their MSNAP, their multi-sectoral plan. So... You've already got one very strong demand <laughs> heading your mm. way, I think, uh, from the Sun Secretariat in Yemen. Of course, Yemen is a challenging country, but Nipin has done well, actually, in countries that, you know, you've got quite a range, haven't you? If you think about the countries Nipin's present in, they're not all stable, let's say, uh, look yeah. at there right now. Um, you know, and and it, yet it has still managed to achieve so much, even in fragile contexts, uh, which is, you know, a testament to um, its flexibility, I think, in being able to operate in different environments. So that's great to hear. That's on a, yeah. that's a real positive, Christoph, that the future is looking pretty good for Nippin. Can we conclude and, that? Oh, yeah, I think so. And right. um, I think you, you just pointed at the uh, development peace nexus. And um, I think it's really important, again, to look broader to really take a multi-sectoral perspective. And I think Nipin really provides an excellent uh, input into becoming more um, effective through evidence-based and country-owned programming and uh, policy making. And I really hope that it as well then feeds into uh, um, processes uh, where we currently have uh, opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned in the very beginning, I'm coming more from the agriculture food security side. And um, at the moment, we see the uh, huge process uh, with a global rollout uh, on the uh, transformation of uh, food systems. Yeah. And uh, what I see here is that, uh, you know, discussions move more and more towards uh, the production side of the uh, food system. And I hope that 
good work, multi-sectorial work uh, of the nutrition community with support of NIPIN, we get as well, let's say, the proposed outcome of this transformation of food systems to have that one to focus, uh, among others, on uh, healthy diets. Maybe within the planetary boundaries, you know, every country will define it differently. Mm -hmm. But to really have a focus uh, on healthy diets and that we do that one well, and that the country nippins really make a mark in their respective contexts. That's excellent. Um, Christoph, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I think, you know, Nippin's potential, well, it's already doing it to be so responsive to emerging issues and needs, both country specific and indeed globally is, you know, one of the most exciting things, at least for me about Nippin, is how far it could go. And well, how far it's come, but also how far it could go and how relevant it could remain. So um, on that note, I think we've probably um, taken up enough of your time, Christoph. And I just want to warmly thank you for just sharing your thoughts and insights with us today for the benefit of our listeners and wish you all the very best. And no doubt we in N4D will stay tuned in to how Nippin progresses over the months and years to come. So thank you, Christoph, so much. Thank you. Thank you, Carmel, and thank you, Jeremy. And I hope we continue to uh, um, be jointly engaged uh, on Nippin and uh, other, let's say, multi-sectoral nutrition issues. Exactly. I think there's huge opportunities and uh, we need to focus on them. Thank you very much, Christoph. Take care and all the best. Uh, this is Jeremy Shoham here from N4D. We're lucky enough to have Rebecca Heinkamp, um, who uh, Rebecca currently works from, in the nutrition faculty of the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Uh, her work centres very much around improving quality of data and evidence supporting multi-sector nutrition and policies. She currently leads Data for Decisions in Nutrition, otherwise known as Data Dent, and is also a member of uh, several global advisory groups, including the WHO UNICEF Technical Expert Advisory Group on Nutrition Monitoring. Um, now, Rebecca's involvement in NIPIN goes back right to the beginning. Uh, NIPIN started its program actually in 2015 in country. Um, but I know that Rebecca was involved uh, in an early scoping mission, I think. And Rebecca is also a member of the expert advisory group for NIPIN. So first of all, I would like to welcome you, Rebecca. Thank, Thank you. you. It's great to be with you. Great. Um, so as Rebecca, as someone who's so involved in the data uh, side of our world, someone so immersed in data initiatives and, um, and data dent being one current example. Uh, I think we would be really interested to hear your views on NIPIN and how it fits in, in this global context of work on data and information and generating evidence. So I have really come to think about and use the idea of a nutrition data value chain, which I think people have um, probably are familiar with, but if they're not, you know, it's this idea that if we really want to promote nutrition for decision making, 
that we have to look at all of the kind of steps and components that lead to data being able to be used by decision makers. And that starts from you know, understanding the priorities of what um, data need to be collected, what are the indicators, what are the information needs, to um, collecting those and ensuring those data are collected, curating those and bringing those together, things like the DHIS2 or other systems that make those data accessible, um, doing analysis, and then translating those analyses to uh, the decision makers who then are making use of the data. And I would say that, you know, I think Nippin is unique in its situating. So when I think about Nippin, I'm really thinking about it as um, being in that kind of curation, analysis, translation, use part of the data value chain, um, which is um, a little bit unique from other data initiatives, which might be, for example, focused on collecting um, dietary intake data, right, or collecting micronutrient status data, or investing in more of that data collection, and to some degree, because of things like the DHIS2, that data curation piece. But to really pick up and be working on that piece um, in that kind of an analysis translation to data use space, I think is very unique. Um, the other piece that I think is really unique about Nippin and the space that it's operating is that it's trying to create a very flexible um, kind of platform that these capacities are available for countries to use it as they need to. So there are other initiatives that are working on data analysis. There's a really wonderful um, nutrition modeling tools consortium, which a group of people that have developed different tools like the um, cost of a diet tool, you know, these are analysis tools and that have some flexibility, you know, but fundamentally they're kind of dictating, well, this is the analysis that will be done with this sort of a tool. And this is the analysis that will be done with this sort of a tool. And what I think is you know, unique about Nippin, it's saying, what are the policymakers' questions? And in the ideal sense, Nippin is saying, okay, we've got this curated data. We understand what data are available in our context. And then Nippin is actually situated to make of these sorts of tools and other analytical tools to then um, you know, to, to translate and present the data. So what I, I do think is unique about Nippin is that that flexibility. And it's these are no way in competition. Um, they're very much potentially complementary, but but many of the other work in the space from the global level has been more, let's develop a set of analytical tools, but they still need the context within which they are being used. So uh, that's very interesting, uh, Rebecca. And uh I, I, I guess when you started to talk about the uniqueness of Nippin, I thought the two things I thought you might say, which you didn't, and it would be interesting to hear your reflections on this. Uh, one, the fact that Nippin is so focused across sectors, it's so multi-sectoral. And secondly, that it's so embedded in government. So what are your thoughts about that as, as a unique component of Nippin? Yeah, no, I would definitely, I mean, I would definitely agree. I do think we have, um, I think people are catching up a little bit in on in sets of the multi-sector space, um, you know, and, and really having this understanding. So I think, you know, I think Nippin was really unique being positioned that way in the beginning. Um, now, I, in a good way, I think that there is more investment in the data space, um, and we have, you know, some interesting um, examples from, you know, countries and places where thinking about multi-sector data systems. Now, the 
use and analysis and translation of that data. And I would say, and I think you bring up being embedded within government, it is really unique. I mean, this is getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think one of the, you know, longer term um, ideas when I think about, you know, something like Nippon, in many ways, Nippon is creating a policy analysis unit in some mm-hmm. sense to support nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I think in many of the contexts where Nippon is working, this idea of having kind of internal to government um, policy analysis capacity. I think it exists in some other sectors, but it's not something that has existed for nutrition. Um, and I think it's important because nutrition is pulling from all of these different sectors that in a way that this multi-sector yet government rooted entity is created. Um, and, and it's a challenge that maybe other sectors like education or health in kind of the more health systems delivery sense haven't had to deal with. So, um, but but ultimately I think in a way what we're creating is this policy analysis capacity. And when I look ahead head, you know, right now the capacity is really that people within government are asking the questions, formulating them, doing the analyses, you know, digging into the data themselves, kind of within this Nippon team. And when I think of a longer term approach, it'd be interesting to think about how certain pieces of that work, like data analysis, as we start to think about things like how can AI or how can these other more machine learning, how can these more advanced methods be used to benefit and answer questions? It might not be that people within the Nippon structure themselves are carrying out some of the pieces of the work, but rather that they are commissioning and bringing in expertise, which is something that I've been thinking about as it's not where things stand right now, but looking to the future, because this is true in almost any context, that that level of capacity is not housed within government itself. But this is where, you know, bringing in partners kind of, but more from a, we've defined our questions, we know what our needs are, and now we are bringing in the expertise rather than it coming the other way around, which is more of a push of external actors saying, you will use this tool. And is that part of data? Dent. Yeah, no, that's just, I mean, that's a little bit just what I've been thinking about. Um, data Dent, you know, I think is actually working in, in two different areas of the data value chain. So we actually are working very much on the indicator prioritization and data collection. So working on methods for indicators that don't exist, like the coverage of nutrition sensitive social protection or maternal micronutrient supplements beyond, um, you know, IFA and dealing with some of the problems of IFA measurement. So that's kind of one of our technical methodological pieces. One of the pieces of work that I, I noticed that uh, DataDent has been involved in quite quite recently, I think, is around the financing of yeah. data collection. And I think you might, DataDent might even have put out some guidance around that, um, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. I just wondered um, if we could get your thoughts about how national information systems like NIPIN can can move towards more sustainably uh, to, to, to more sustainable financing, given that, that resources are invariably very low. I wondered, you know, with your global perspective, are there countries where you've seen this move to a more sustainable model? So we're um, so it's results for development has been leading the work under um, data dent around the area of how do we understand like what does it actually cost to 
collect data, but also cost to build these capacities to have these nutrition information systems. And we're still very early in that work. So it's actually, I've been thinking about how exciting it'll be to talk to Nippon and the Nippon team more about this. Um, but then also the question of financing. So one of the kind of more discrete pieces of work that we did was actually in Ethiopia, which is a Nippon country. And yep. Ethiopia is, um, I'd say in many ways ahead of of some other, if that might, head might be the wrong word, but mm. you know they have a explicit pillar around data and information systems in their national food and nutrition strategy. Mm. And that national strategy is costed. And so that means that that data and information systems piece, mm. which is where I'd say something like Nippon would likely fall um, in a strategy would be part of. So I think one lesson is Nippon has to be visible. Um, mm. And we find that in many contexts, these food and nutrition strategies don't even have you know, sections that are that are dealing kind of with the cross-cutting issue of mm. there are activities and there are costs to maintaining data and information systems that support yeah. nutrition in a multi-sector sense. So I think getting there um, to making sure that they are also costed, which I think is one of our challenges is, and I think mm. we're trying to work through is how do you cost it? Mm. But then when you get to the financing piece, so what we found in this work we did in Ethiopia, that that was the a, a clear missing link and in collaboration with EPHI, which is uh, one of the Nippon leads, you know, we're able to say one thing we saw is so there was a costing, um, but the idea of financing when they actually went and had conversations when the EPHI team um, and the R4D team went and talked to the donors who were known to be financing activities related to the strategy, they weren't themselves, they were doing it, but it wasn't linked to the strategy. So the government itself also would have a costing, which they had, but what does it mean for the government to have a financing plan? Because mm -hmm. that's where you're then going and saying, we know we're dependent right now still on external resources, but we are actually the ones saying, we have a plan, we know what it costs, and being able and to be in the seat of bringing the donors and saying, you know, we need you to fund different aspects of our plan and our strategy. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think in generally this, this space of data and information systems, most countries don't have a strategic plan. Um, and then this thing of and what does it cost and what does it mean to bring mm -hmm. financing on? Um, we also know, I mean, like in all places, we do want to make this call for increasing the domestic, you know, resources that are going in. And that's a call for nutrition broadly, right? With nutrition for growth, the increasing the domestic financing for nutrition period. Of course, we also want to echo that in data and information systems, um, but wanting to be realistic that often we know everywhere I work, you know, I, I teach a policy class where we look at cases from the United States and people will say the money for M&E, the money for data, it's not there, right? Mm -hmm. It's not generally a government priority. So all the more so that those of us in this space need to be um, clearly communicating what our needs are, what needs to be financed and mm -hmm. how we can bring. And, and as you say, how much it costs as well, which is the work that Data Dent is doing. It's in, interesting in Niger, uh, Nipin is now all but in name included in the multi-sector nutrition action plan, which I think right. bodes well for its sustainability. I'm not so right. sure about the other countries. Um, and, and I guess also, it's would you say it's fair to say that the Nipin type approach, because it's it's not primary data collection, it's not that expensive. It's uh, it's about collation and analysis of existing data. 
uh, and and it it it's predicated on the assumption that other initiatives will collect primary data like like the EC uh, NIS initiative the UNICEF WHO initiative which I know is having certain problems but yeah no and I, I think I think what needs to be institutionalized are the roles and the coordination structures and the channel, channel of communication right so these pieces of and this is one of the wonderful things about government right is if something does get into a budget line and it mm. is recognized as something it stays you know mm. it tends to stay yes. over time and it's it's seen yeah. and so i do think that maintaining you know it, it there is there's a lot of human resources you know in terms of positions that are involved and then also relationships to different working groups in the multi-sector nutrition kind of coordination structures and that the importance of those being recognized as a step towards sustainability, I think can't be underestimated. The one thing I think that just cannot be underestimated is the space that has been provided given the continuity of funding, um, you know, and, and this call for some sort of continuation is the reality of this is a, it's a complex initiative in many ways, but we're seeing the progress Mm. And that it is this long term, you know, yes. the space being given to to allow it to evolve. I think yes. you highlighted that really nicely and and that there is still some space to come. And so, you know, I think one of the initiatives that I was involved in, you know, we didn't have that time. We didn't uh -huh. have that space and just really wanted to affirm you know, how important that is. I'm really pleased to hear you say that, because I think we, we felt that it is too early to see significant policy impact. Policy cycles are long, aren't they, really? Um, and yet uh, Nippin has created much more of an enabling environment. Um, so it's really good to, to have you reiterate that. OK, Rebecca, thank you so much for participating uh, in this in this podcast. It's been lovely talking to you and very, very interesting. Great. Thanks for having me.